This is Legacy Battle. Make sure you hit like, subscribe, that notification button. I'm Michael Adams, creator of Legacy Battle. My panelists tonight from the Gridiron Battle Zone, Brian King, Director of Operations for the Canadian Baseball Hall of Fame, Scott Crawford, Ball State athlete, Paul Havocott. We're joined by uh, a special guest tonight. He's perfect for tonight's debate because tonight's debate is the top five defensive shortstops of the last, see, 40 years now, so all the way back to 1980. Uh, he was a nine-year shortstop with the Royals and the Cardinals. He's ranked 87th all-time for total zone runs as a shortstop. In 1996, he led the AL in fielding percentage, fourth in range factor, and double plays turned, and third in total zone runs. So we have David Howard here. David, thank you so much for joining us. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Awesome. As always, we'll have our Q&A after. Uh, since it's the top five, we'll be discussing eight players. We're going to jump in and start with Brian. All right, so I got Omar Vizquel, one of my favorite players of all time, just because of how selfless, kind of scrappy type player he was. He was never going to hit a bunch of home runs or get onto the highlight reel with his bat, but he did so many of the little things, you know, like lead the majors and sack flies four times and stretch a lot of doubles and the triples. Uh, his speed and his attention to detail really helped him become a great fielder as well. He was one of the best fielders of his era, regardless of position, and his era remarkably stretched from 1989 to 2012 when he finally retired at the age of 45. Omar earned 11 Gold Glove Awards during his career and had a nine-year streak from 1993 to 2001, and he was able to win one in Seattle and Cleveland and San Francisco. Um, you know, And some of those stadiums were a little bit difficult to field at. He is ranked ninth in career WAR, and was ranked in the top 10 five different seasons. Six times he was ranked in the top five for range factor. Six times he had the best fielding percentage among ML shortstops. Uh, and Omar's career fielding percentage is uh, 985, and that's the best in the history of the major leagues for shortstops with at least 500 games played. So it's hard to top what that guy brought to the table. Dave, your, your thoughts on Vizquel? I, I know uh, you'd mentioned to me that uh... – he got a gold glove one year when, when you thought maybe you were due for it. So what are, what are your thoughts on Omar? Uh, I loved watching him play. Um, one of the one of the stories I I, I have about him is uh, Chris Bozio's no-hitter in Seattle. The last out of the game was a chopper over the mound, and I don't know who hit it, but I know Omar came in. Now, this is a no-hitter, not a perfect game, so he barehands it coming across over behind the mound in between second base, bare hands it and throws the guy out to end the no-hitter. Now, in a no-hitter, if he goes to bare hand it and he misses it, that's a hit. He had enough He had enough cojones to, to bare hand it and throw him out to end the no-hitter. I, that, that, I always remember that. I don't know how smart it was on his part to do it, because it would have cost Bazio a no-hitter, but, you know, it, I mean, he just – he impressed me every time I saw him. I want, I would go out and watch him take ground balls and stuff early um, and just – he he would he could do some things with the glove that you just – you know, I never even imagined doing. So, very, very, very good player. Brian, what, what did he play, 20 years? It was, it was a long time. I think it was 22, I believe, yeah. 22, 20, wow. Yeah. Yeah. Incredible. Incredible, and to play shortstop that long is even even more incredible. So, well, he turned himself into a good offensive player too. The the older he got, he he got better and better, which was pretty impressive too. Yeah, a lot of speed on the bases too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, let's move on to our next player. That is going to be Cal Ripken, Cal Ripken Jr. So, Baltimore Oriole from '81 to '01. Uh, he he was an all star all but 
his first two seasons. So he's a two-time gold glover. Uh, he has finished first five times in uh, defensive war and top 10, 10 times. So career ranking of fourth all time in that category. Assists, he, he's led the league seven times and top 10, 11 times, career ranking of third. Um, and that's not just in the last 40 years. That's all the way back to when they started keeping these stats. So, And he's fifth all-time in games played at shortstop. I'm only trying to prove he's top five tonight, so he's, he's already top five all-time in those stats. He's got uh, six-time putouts leader and 11 times in the top ten on that. Total zone runs as a shortstop. He's ranked third all-time. So he's got he's got all the stats. Um, now, the thing with Cal, like, I think a lot of people remember him for being a great hitter, uh, and he had some very magical moments, of course, uh, and being baseball's Iron Man, that's always going to stick out in people's head. I don't think that record's ever going to be broken. I mean, these guys take too many days off now. Plus, you know, the managers are always got to get the players rest. So we see that a lot. So I don't think the Iron Man record's going to be broken. But as the stats show, he is one of the best fielders of all time at shortstop. Your, your thoughts on Cal and and just that streak. I know we're talking about like the fielding, but what do you think of that incredible Ironman streak? The streak will never be broken. I mean, they say records are made to be broken and that'll never be broken. No chance. Um, he was, he was as tough as they came. Um, he, he was, he, he, he was on my list when I was trying to put together the athletic ones, the, um, the fundamental ones and, and then just really good all around players. And he fit into, you know, two of the three categories. He wasn't the most athletic, but he seemed to always position himself in a place where he didn't have to go too far. Like if the pitcher made the pitch, it, they hit it right where Cal was standing. So, you know, that's where it comes. Sometimes I didn't really understand the defensive metrics that much because if you positioned yourself and you knew where they were going to hit it, if the pitcher made the pitch, you're standing right there, you know, so you, you didn't really get credit for any um, any range or the range factor. Um, I, I really don't understand that much about it, even though I've scouted forever. I, I'm more of an eye test guy, you know, when I scout and, and, and look at guys, but he was always there, really, really fundamental. Um, but like his, his, just his toughness and the way he went about it, you know, he, he rarely ever argued with umpires. He, he just, you know, he he played the position, you know, as good as, you know, anybody that I've played against. And he just positioned himself so well that he really didn't have to have the super range like a like a like a Jay Bell or, you know, somebody we might talk about later. And uh, hats off to an honorable mention, A-Rod, for the classy move at the All-Star game and Cal's last season. He when the game started, he let him take shortstop and, and A-Rod went to third for that. So a classy move there. Sure. Let's move on to Scott. Yeah, I'm going to start off with the uh, the wizard, Ozzie Smith. Um, you know, talk about uh, some hands at shortstop. I mean, he won 13 gold gloves in a row, based from 1980 to 1992. He won every single year gold glove award. Um, his uh, his D war, not even talking war altogether, his D war for his career was 44.2. In those 13 gold gloves, his, his D war was three on average every single year. Most people are hard to get a three combined when you do your O-War and D-War combined, but he did it just defensively. 
Um, and you could argue that he didn't win in 1979, but he was probably the best shortstop in 1979 as well. But uh, he didn't get a gold glove that year. He's he's number one in assists all time for shortstop. He's number one in total zone runs all time for shortstop. He's fourth for most games played. He's ninth for most putouts. Um, so I mean, he he and he did it forever from the barehanded plays. He only ranks 26th in fielding percentage, but I think that might be due to he got to a lot of balls um, and, and, you know, maybe didn't get the throw off or tipped off his glove where other guys wouldn't even have touched the ball. Um, he was so good. So, um, Ozzy, I mean, you, you got the backflip going in every game. Um, he's in Cooperstown and uh, and he wasn't uh, he wasn't an amazing hitter. I mean, he was uh, he obviously held his own, but he was all about defense and doing his flips and, and playing great deep for the for the Cardinals. The one X on his career is Brendan Fraser struck him out to end the World Series in the scout. So got <laughs> came off the bat. So the Dave, your thoughts on Ozzy? Is it is it the Wizard of Oz and everyone else? Uh yeah. Uh the scale's close for me. I mean he didn't have the flash. Uh, and I played against the scale. I didn't play against Ozzy because Ozzy was in the National League and we didn't have the um the inner 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 rival or inner divisions or whatever, and so I I, I really never saw him play live um, too much, but just watching all the plays and you know going on on the internet and watching the stuff that he did. I mean the diving play off of I think Bob Horner hit it when he was playing for the Padres, diving up the middle and it kicked back you know behind him and he barehanded it and got up and threw him out. I mean that's 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 got to be one of the best plays ever i mean you can't you can't get much better than that laying out and just having that athletic ability like i said when i was making my list of athleticism and all that stuff ozzy covered all three you know because he was very very fundamentally sound when you watched him feel the ground ball um i mean super athletic obviously with backflips and just the plays that he made and um you know and played for a long time you know the longevity to keep yourself healthy um um, yeah, he, I mean, he, he's right up there. He's got to be right up there with the best defensive shortstops. And I'll throw Ray Ordonez in there, too, if I could <laughs> give him a nod, because he played on a parking lot and at Old Shea. So first time I played at Shea, I went over to him and I gave him a hug and I said, God bless you for fielding the way you do on this thing. <laughs> so, But yeah, Ozzy's one of a kind. Go ahead, Paul. Okay, I'll kick it off with Alan Trammell. And Alan played with one team, the Tigers, from 77 to 96, playing over 2,293 games. He, he's offensively solid. He had 185 uh, home runs, over 1,000 RBIs, over 2,000 hits. Uh, he won the Silver Slugger Award three times. And all told, he finished with a respectable batting average of 285. But gearing over to the defensive stats, he had a gold glove, several gold glove wins, mostly in the 80s, winning in 80, 81, 83, and 84. He was a World Series champ in 84 and was actually the World Series MVP. He's a six-time All-Star, uh, and the Tigers ended up retiring number three later on. Uh, he had, ended up going on to manage the Tigers and the Cubs and the, and the Diamondbacks, but he was a Hall of Fame inductee in 2018. He only had 235 errors, put, uh, had 1,321 double plays, and a 976 fielding percentage. He and along with his teammate Lou Whitaker, they hold the AL record playing together the most at 1,918 games and set a major league record by turning more double plays than any other shortstop uh, second baseman combination. Uh, the Trammell Whitaker duo 
won gold gloves the others twice in 83 and 84. And that puts him on a list of uh, eight shortstop second baseman duos who have won the honor in the same season while playing together. So uh, another interesting fact, I guess, offensively about him is he collected his 200th hit of the season and 15th, uh, 1,500 career in the same at bat on October 1st, 1987. So I think uh, the Alan Trammell, Lou Whitaker duo was really good, but that's basically Alan Trammell. Dave, I, it's funny that he brought up Whitaker, too, because I was going to say we can't talk Trammell without yeah. talking Whitaker. It's like bread and butter. They just go together. I mean, what were your thoughts? I mean, obviously on Trammell, but the, the duo and how they could just turn things. Yeah, I was going to say when you're playing, you know, the thing you always want to be called is, you know, the biggest compliment being called a, a baseball player. And that's when I watched Alan Trammell play, that's that's what I saw was was a just a baseball player. I mean, he did everything right. Like I said about Cal, he didn't he you never saw him arguing. He just went about his business, loved his throwing motion because there's no way I could get my arm that high up like he did. <laughs> um, but he was just, he was so smooth. He could hit. Um, it, he, he was just a true professional. And it's somebody that, you know, if I were to tell my son, you know, hey, look at, just watch this guy play, you know, and that would be somebody that I would mention just because of the way he went about it. And he was, he was always really, really nice. I mean, he just, everything about him, you know, exuded just a baseball player and a professional. Took him a while to get into the Hall of Fame. I was surprised by that. I, I, I thought he was, you know, maybe not first ballot, but second or third ballot. I couldn't believe how long it took, but yeah. All right, let's uh, go back to Brian. All right, so I got Dave Concepcion. Um, you know, he became the 17th Venezuelan player to appear in the major leagues back in 1970, and he played 19 seasons in the big leagues. He won five Gold Glove, Gold Glove Awards during his career, and he combined with second baseman Joe Morgan in Cincinnati to create one of the best middle infielder duos of all time, so another great duo here. In fact, Bleacher Report ranked them the number two ever, and Cron.com ranked them the best ever. Uh, both were vitally important to the, the uh, success of the multiple champion Big Red Machine in the 1970s. As a fielder, one thing that Dave did that was very interesting was he perfected the one-bounce throw to first baseman Tony Perez. And this method took advantage of the smooth artificial surface at Riverfront Stadium. Uh, All-time for fielding percentage, Dave's mark of uh, .9706 ranks as the 69th highest total among shortstops in Major League Baseball's history. And of the guys ranked above him, he logged more innings at the position than all but five of them. So I really like Dave. I, I think he definitely should be in this discussion tonight. Dave, do you know anything about that throw Brian was talking about? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. First, first three or four years, we had turf in Kansas City, and it was it was definitely usable, um, you know, after playing a bunch of games in a row. But I remember watching that, that duo, him and uh, Joe Morgan, back in the day, playing against my Red Sox, you know, in 75. And um, he was always he, – he was a lot like Trammell. You know, you just – he was so consistent, so you know uh, his fundamentals were great. Um, I think he, I think he led a lot like um, like Jeter, m more with leadership than than numbers. Um, 
and I really enjoyed watching him play. I was younger, obviously, when I was watching him play, but um, I know he had a big effect talking to other Venezuelan shortstops as I came up uh, on them, and, and that's a credit to him as well. So we're going to move on to Jimmy Rollins, played from 2000 to 2016, all but two seasons with the Phillies. He's obviously remembered for his time in Philadelphia. Uh, he is a, a four-time Gold Glove winner. Uh, his fielding percentage is 14 times in the top 10. Um, it was first four times, and he's got a career ranking of fourth. And he's uh, 12th all-time at turning double plays. So I, I don't have a lot of stats from Jimmy. I, I, looking at the list tonight, I I know I'm representing him and everything, but I kind of have him maybe at seven or eight on this list tonight. Uh, but what I will say about him is that he – he'd make the plays that he should make. And, you know, you didn't have to worry about him, uh, you know, having a flub on a routine play. And and he could dive and go all out too. He made a lot of spectacular plays. I don't want to take up that from him, but he certainly made the plays that matter. And we've talked to pitchers on this show before who have said, I'll take a guy who feels everyone that he should over a guy who's trying to make plays he shouldn't and messes it up. So, I'll throw that in there about Jimmy Rollins. Your, your thoughts on Jimmy? Yeah, uh, same thing. Th same thing you were saying. Um, you know, that's that's what we when I was with the Red Sox and Cubs and and Mets. You know, instructing. You know, it was all about making the plays you're supposed to make, and don't try to make the routine play look better than it actually is. Because a lot of guys try to dress plays up and try to be quick with their hands or do something kind of flashy. And that's not what managers want. It's, it's not what pitchers want. They want you to make the routine play and just get the out and let's move on. And that's a credit to him for doing that because he was so athletic. And usually the athletic guys are the guys that try to be really quick with their hands and try to differentiate themselves from other guys. And, you know, from what I saw of Jimmy, he didn't do that. And plus he was a, a pretty dynamic offensive player as well. So that, you know, his all around game was obviously really good. And he's got a World Series ring. Let me throw that in there. So, uh, Scott, go ahead. Yeah, I had to uh, – I mean, first pick on my list was uh, one of our Hall of Famers and Tony Fernandez. I mean, obviously being a Blue Jay fan. And um, the, the biggest downfall of Tony on this list is he played the least amount of games that, that of, uh, of everyone on this list. So um, some of his stats don't necessarily stack up that he didn't have the longevity of some of these guys. But he he, uh, he won four gold gloves, 86-89. His D-war was 14.9 in his career. Um, probably his, his just being new to the year, probably 85. He had one of his best defensive years. He could have easily won a gold glove in 85. Um, he, he's got a 980 fielding percentage with almost 1,600 games at shortstop. So you remember from the 80s, you remember his flip, his underhand, underarm, underhand almost flip. He'd be running sort of towards third base and turn back and flip it over to first to uh, – you know, whoever, Willie Upshaw mostly at first base, and, and it would be right on the mark every time. Um, but uh, he was, you know, for his for his time in the game, which wasn't overly long, he was, you know, he was the guy in the 80s um, that you would uh, you would count on to pick up those ground balls and, and led those young Blue Jays to, to a lot of victories in the late 80s. So, Dave, I have to imagine you probably played against this guy a couple times. Uh, what, what are your thoughts on him? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, it, it, it's becoming a common thing. Every time I comment on these guys, they were all they were all pros. 
you know, like Dan Tony was like a, a professional, you know, he was like a baseball player, you know, he didn't go out and do anything. Now, like Scott was just saying, he would co- maybe come across and, and just flip one underhand, you know, over to first base and get him. But if you're good enough to do it <laughs> and you get him out, that's not showing off. It's not, you know, he, he wasn't, he wasn't trying to dress anything up. It's just, he knew he could make the play that way, you know, and if you can do it, do it get the out. Nobody cares, you know, as long as the guy's out and, and you're not screwing things up. But yeah, I mean, I loved watching Tony play. He was, he, he was a very unassuming, he would just go out and do his job. He was a, he was a solid hitter. He was a clutch hitter every, you know, at least when we played against him, he always seemed to be a clutch hitter. And um, I just, I just liked those guys that, you know, you could, you could watch them. They, they didn't, they didn't loaf out to their position. They always hustled out to their position. They played it the right way. They didn't do anything dirty. And, you know, obviously it just seems like every guy on this list that we're going down, I keep saying the same thing about them. They were professionals and they were baseball players. And that's what I respected about all of them. Scott, that 980 field percentage, that's 18th all time. That's impressive. I just looked sure that is. up. Yeah. yeah. All right, Paul, finish us out. Who's our last player tonight? Yeah, he's so popular. Um, Derek Jeter out of New Jersey. Once again, another one of my players playing all for one, all seasons with one team, playing from 95 to 2014 with the Yankees. Played 2,747 games, got over 3,465 hits and 260 home runs, compiling a pretty decent 310 batting average with a 1,300 RBIs. He only made 254 errors. And it's funny, with him and Alan Trammell, they both had the exact same fielding percentage, 976. And then Derek had 1,408 double plays. This guy's got some credibility. He's got 14 all-star appearances. He was a five-time World Series champ, World Series MVP in 2000, was a rookie of the year in 96, five gold gloves in 04 through 06, 09, and 10. And he was a five-time Silver Slugger Award. I don't need to go much further with Derek, the captain. I think he'll definitely be on the list. Uh, but I wonder sometimes if his offense is what carried him. But see what you guys think. But the two plays they always show, Paul, is the ones diving yeah. into the stands and then the one in the playoffs against the A's where he got the yeah. ball to the home plate. So, Dave, uh, with Jeter, he's actually my all-time favorite player. I got his bobblehead. I got his jersey and everything else. But uh, – I felt like he hung on a little too long. Like he was pretty atrocious this last few seasons in, at shortstop. I think that dropped his stats down. But uh, what do you remember him for? Being that he was with the Yankees, do you remember him as for his offense or some of those highlight defensive plays we do see? I remembered him more as a as a really really hard, a really tough out. You know, I mean, if you, if you threw him away, he was he reminded well. <laughs> Derek, I think, was a better overall hitter than Edgar Renteria. But if you threw him away, it was a base hit to right. It was just as simple as that. You know, he didn't try He didn't try to do too much. But if you tried to go in and you missed, he had the power to pull it and, and, and hit it out to left. And he just came through, it seemed like, I mean, the storybook ending to his career and the hits that he got in, in his last game and at home and all that stuff. And I mean, um, I, I, I'm, I didn't, he, I think Tino Martinez should get more, <laughs> should have gotten more gold gloves for picking balls out of the dirt. 
from Derek because Derek had a fielding flaw that I always saw that he came up too fast. You know, he got out of his legs too fast. He stood straight up and he spiked a lot of balls and D and Tino would and, and pick a lot of them. And, and, and listen, I'm not trying to knock, knock him at all, but I, I, I just, I viewed him more as, as a leader showing up every day and, and coming through on the clutch. Um, and he was, he, he, don't get me wrong, he was good. He had a 976 all time, you know, fielding average. But I, I believe personally, the, the, as it's, as, you know, from my last year in 99, you know, climbing up to now, it's, it's a lot harder to make an error now than it was back then. Um, you know, I mean, we got errors back then that were like, now you see it. I mean, it, it, the hit's already up on the board and it's like, you know, so, not knocking him at all. I mean, because because he used to make some phenomenal plays, and he and he did have very good fielding mechanics. It was just he, that one thing of him standing up too early. You know, he would spike a lot of balls, and um, but great, great, great player. Never, never, you know, always, always was very, you know, nice and and personable, and you know, goes back to a professional. You know, he 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 played a lot. He was rarely ever hurt. Um, and I loved watching him play, hated here in, you know, New York, New York, after we got our ass kicked every night in New York, but, um, you know, and he was a part of a lot of them. So, but yeah, heck of a player and he definitely should be on the list. Paul, that picture behind you is perfect because he, he's one of the all-time great jump throwers yeah. I've ever seen. That guy, he could get air and throw that ball across. So let's I was going to say, that yeah. picture just it happens to come up when you, if you like Google greatest shortstops, this is one of the pictures that comes up. So. <laughs> nice. Well, let's move into our vote, guys. This is the top five. You can't pick your own. We all get to pick one. Paul, you're in my upper corner. Who are you taking? Uh, I went into it pretty open-minded, but after listening to the arguments, I think I'd go with Ozzie Smith. Am I picking one or two? Just one. Okay. I think I'd go with Ozzie Smith, although Omar Vizquel, he's just pretty good too, but I'll do Ozzie. Okay. Brad? Um, I'm actually going to go Fernandez. I, I was impressed with what Scott had to say with Fernandez there, so I'm going to go with him. Okay. Uh, Scott? All right, I got to go with, uh, since I can't pick my guys, I got to go with uh, Omar Vizquel for all his uh, his games played and being so great. Vizquel, all right. And, uh, wow. So with what's left, man, uh, Jeter is more flashy than Trammell, so uh, I think I'm going I'm to snag Jeter off the list. So we come to you, Dave. That leaves you with uh, Alan Trammell, Kyle Ripken, or Jimmy Rollins? Kyle Ripken. Kyle Ripken, okay. An honorable mention tonight. Going all around, Kyle Ripken. Yeah, yeah. So Legacy Battles, top five defensive shortstops of going back 40 years here. We got Omar Vizquel, Tony Fernandez, Ozzie Smith, Derek Jeter, Kyle Ripken. Nice job, guys. Let's move into our Q&A. Um, let's see. Scott, you're the only one that got two on the list tonight. So you get first question, then we'll go Paul, Brian, me. All right. Uh, David, of course, I work for the Canadian Baseball of Fame, so I always throw my Canadian questions in here. Um, you, you played with Terry Poole in 91. I think he was maybe in his last year. Yeah. Um, you played with Andy Stewart, who had a cup of coffee in 95 with the Love Royals. Andy. And then uh, – and then Dave McKay coached you in 98-99 with the Cardinals. Um, you got any stories about any of those three guys on what you remember or what type of guys they were? I do. They were all great. Stubby Clapp was a good buddy of mine. 
uh, as well. Um, Terry Poole got pissed. <laughs> Sorry, but uh, Hal McCray pinch ran me for Terry in a game, and Terry was he was beside himself, like I'm faster than you. I'll race you because <laughs> I was a rookie, and he was you know like you said at the end of his career, and it was just hilarious because he was such a nice guy, but he got so offended <laughs> that I pinch ran for him. So um, and Andy Stewart's a great guy. I know he's been uh, doing the Canadian baseball stuff for a while, right? And um, who was the other one you said? Sorry. Dave, Dave McKay. He was oh, Dave McKay. Yeah, yeah. Dave, Dave was great. Shoot, he's still co. He he's in better shape than all of us put together. At, I think he might be seventy now or, or something. He's amazing. I mean, just a great guy, you know. And, and if there can be a coach that can inspire players to work harder. Dave McKay is the guy, you know, because, I, mean, I mean, he was in such phenomenal shape and, you know, and he was out there every day. And, you know, he was the one that had to throw BP to McGuire every day, you know, when all the fans were out there in 98, 99, that, you know, when I was there. So he had that pressure of not having, you know, letting Mac hit him 500 feet off of him every day. But, uh, yeah, yeah, all three great dudes. Yeah. Cool. Excellent. Mm -hmm. My question's about scouting. I was just curious for people that don't know, has, has scouting evolved over the years? How would you say it is now compared to how it was in the, you know, the early nineties and stuff like that? Gosh, you know, I, I started scouting uh, in 2002, no, wait, 2003 with the Red Sox or no, uh, let me, let me think three. I got Oh, five. Sorry. I'm sorry. Got ahead of myself. But um, so the 90s, I'm not too sure about. But in 05, you know, it was it was more, you know, tell us what you see, um, you know, give try to find as much about the person as you can. You know, the the makeup, how he fits along, how he fits in in the clubhouse. Um, you know, you look for the athleticism, you look for all this stuff. The numbers didn't come in nearly as much until about. Probably, well, you, you mentioned, <laughs> Mike, you mentioned Theo um, earlier, and that's when it started. You had to start looking for those, you know, you guys were saying wars, and I don't even, a lot, I know what war means, but a lot of them, I don't even know what they mean. I was, a, I was, what I saw is, is what I put down. You know, um, I was just telling a story the other day, you know, they wanted to know about Justin Verlander. I, I saw him pitch twice in one year in, in Dunedin and then and then again in, in Lake, Lakeland. And they said, you know, write up your thing before July. So I wrote it up and my summary said, we'll never get him Hall of Famer. <laughs> and I sent it in and they were they were kind of like, that's it. And I <laughs> Well, what, what more do I need to say? We're we're never going to get him. <laughs> you know, we'll have to trade the whole team, and and he's you know he, he so and he's all a famer. So, but um, I I like to go with my own eyes. They used to send us like you know what who we were going to see and how good the you know the players were and where they were ranked in the Baseball America top you know thirty on their list or whatever. And I told them to stop sending it to me because. I started reading everything that everybody was saying about him. And it was like, then I had, then I got my expectations built up. And then when I got there, they might've played fine, but they didn't match what, you know, the expectations I had from all, you know, the, the baseball America stuff. So I just said, stop sending it to me. 
I just want to, I want to watch them. I want to grade them and I'll live with my decision. And I got a great piece of advice from an old scout. And he said, once you realize you're going to be wrong, you'll become a better scout because you just trust what you see and, and you put it down and, and, and let it go at that. And if you're wrong, you're wrong. Everybody's going to be wrong. Nobody's going to be right every single time. I mean, Nelson Velasquez was with the Cubs when I was with him, uh, when I was with the Cubs, and I didn't have him down as anything other than just kind of a maybe an up and down guy, fourth outfield or whatever. Now he's got 14, 15 home runs with the Royals. And somebody said, what did you say about him? And I said, no, nah, I didn't have him as that. I, I didn't, I, I really didn't have him in. I thought he was lazy, blah, blah, blah. So I'll admit when I'm wrong, everybody's going to be wrong. And you can also go in, and this is the hard thing about it, Paul, is you go in, and I remember this because my first year doing it, I went to Appleton. I went to, not Appleton, but it was uh, Kenosha. And the twins were you know, were there, and it was 38 degrees, and I'm watching these two high-profile pitchers. And they, one was 18, and he was from Florida, and one was, you know, whatever he was throwing 86 miles an hour and I'm reading 93, 94 split this, that, and the other. And I mean, he looked like Kurt Schilling, but nothing was coming out of his hand. And I didn't have the, the experience to think, wait, he's from Florida. Now he's pitching in 38 degree weather. You know, maybe he's, you know, it's just not, you know what I'm saying? And a veteran yeah. scout might have gotten that better. So, you know, it, a lot of it has to do with how long you do it and 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 you just start figuring it out. And when you're sitting in the stands with those guys, you a lot of times when I was young, you know, you know, just shut up, listen, learn and 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 try to apply that as you as you move on. But the numbers have come in so much now that. I truly believe that's one of the reasons a lot of us older, you know, I'm 56 and, you know, I'd love to still be in the game, but, you know, they, they want more of the guys that understand the numbers better. And I'm more of a, of a, of an eye test guy. So, but yeah, I think it's changed a significant amount, you know, since probably about 07. So Dave, let me, let me take you back. September 1994, uh, Hal McRae is fired by the Royals. Uh, despite guiding you guys to a 14-game winning streak before the strike uh, ended the season, uh, what was the sense among you and, and your teammates when when you received the news? And, and did you agree with the firing? I mean, McRae was a you know he's a winning coach, winning manager. Yeah, and Brian and I played against each other in high school. We roomed with each other in the minors. And, you know, I spent a lot of time at the McRae house because I grew up in Sarasota and he was in Bradenton and Hal lived in Bradenton. So I was over there and I went to a junior college in Bradenton, you know, so I would go over to their house and Brian would, you know, hang out with us. So it, it was tough. Um, you know, Hal, when I got sent down my first year in 91, when and then John Wathen got fired and Hal took over. And Hal's first question was, who should be up here that's not up here? And the coaches apparently said me. So I got called back up. So I, I felt a little bit of loyalty that he asked the question and he trusted his coaches, you know, so, and obviously I already had a relationship with him. So I liked him. I had no, I had no issues, you know, with Hal at all. And, you know, as a player, you really, you kind of got to separate yourself from those type decisions 
because it's not under your control. And, you know, if you let it affect you too much, hey, look, Bob Boone took over and he loved me as no other manager, you know, loved me. He, he signed on my 30th birthday, he signed a, bo a bottle of wine, said to the last manager you'll ever have. You know, that's, how, you know, and he, you know, he, he, he confided in me, he asked my opinion and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And then he got fired, you know, and then Tony Muser comes in and it's like, I don't know Tony Muser. So I had, to, I, I wanted Bob Boone there because he loved me, you know, right. so, I mean, it's hard because I don't, I don't, I don't know the reason why he got fired, you know, how, but, you know, he was nothing but ever, nothing but nice to me. And, um, you know, and obviously it was tough. You know, Brian, I think had gotten traded to the Blue Jays by then, but I can't remember. But um, yeah, I, I, you know, it, it was, it was, it was tough because anytime somebody else comes in, you got to learn, you got to learn them. You know, I knew Wathen and then I, you know, I already knew how, so that was kind of easy. You know, and we did well, like you said. You know, we played really well in '94. I mean, we had a really good season. You know, we, you know, it was it was tough to to go on strike because we weren't very good. I mean, I think maybe '91 was our best season up until up until '94. So, um, but yeah, it's always tough, and it's not the players' decision. Um, and I don't think the, the, the it's always the players' fault, is what I always say. When the manager gets fired, it's not his fault; it's ours because we didn't play for him. You know, unless it's just blatant that, that that they did, you know, something that they just weren't doing things right or they lost the clubhouse or whatever. That was not the case with Al. So I always thought there's not a manager in baseball that loses a game. We lose the game. So, but I will say this, Tony Larusa, who I played for, he was never going to lose a game. <laughs> he was <laughs> always going to be ready for whatever move, you know, had to be made. So... But yeah, that's a good question. I don't know, and it's and it's always tough on players because you do develop relationships, and not only with the manager but the coaches that leave with him because the new manager always brings in his guys. So you're seeing coaches go out that you've developed a really good relationship with too, and they didn't do anything wrong, you know. And you feel kind of guilty as a player that we didn't play better for them. So. So let's build off on that 94 season there a little bit. 64 and 51, Kansas City Royals, the strike hits. I looked at your roster. I really liked it. You got, you got. I guess maybe they were considered cast-offs. I don't know what they were considered, but Wally Joyner, Gary Gaietti, Vince Coleman, Dave Henderson, Hubie Brooks, Jose, Le Jose Lean, and the pitching staff. I mean, you got three aces at the top, David Cohn, Tom Gordon, Kevin Apier, closer Jeff Montgomery, and guys were only a few games back. Uh, you know, what do you think that team could have done had the season continued? Could you have made a playoff run and maybe something great? What What, what are your thoughts on that? I, I I definitely think so. I thought we had a I thought we had a really good, um, a really solid overall team. Like you said, like you, you named like three or four guys that were castoffs, but they were good backups. You know, like you know Hubie Brooks, Dave Henderson. You know, you know, I was a utility guy that could could play anywhere. Um, it was just a good overall, and we got along. You know, everybody got along, and it was just a we had a it was kind of a magical run too because we won like twelve or thirteen in a row um, towards towards the end of July, I think, 
Um, and, you know, Bob Hamlin was hitting a home run to win a game every other night, you know, and they had the, the, the foam hammers out, you know, and in, in, in the outfit, you know, and it was just, it was just every, every game, it went from 10,000 people to 12 to 15 to 25 to 35, then it's packed. And we never packed a house in Kansas City, you know, but it just, we just rode that wave for as long as we could. But at the same time, we knew that deadline was coming up, you know, for the, for the strike. And unfortunately, you know, it hit us, but I mean, it was just a good, it was just a good bunch of guys that we had and we all we all got along. There wasn't any, there wasn't any friction. And that's one of the things, you know, going back to you, Paul, about scouting is, is finding out who fits, you know, who's going to fit in, you know, do, do, does that guy know two or three guys on the current team? So if we trade for him, he's going to have friends and he's going to fit right in and he's not going to be a disrupt, disruption if he's not playing as much as he's used to and stuff like that. So to the scouting standpoint, our scouts did a great job of getting a group of guys that they felt could handle maybe not playing as much as they were used to playing. So I, I really enjoyed that year. That was, that was one of my winningest years, you know, that I had on a team and, and uh, like, like just the guys you mentioned, it just brings back all those memories. I, I was waiting to hear more names because I was like, who else was on that team? Cause they were, they, they were such good guys. Same order guys. One more. All right. Uh, I guess to the St. Louis days again, obviously you played with Big Mac in 98 when he hit 70. And then again in 99, he hit 65. And uh, you're up and down both years, some. But um, what was what was the clubhouse like? What was what was he marked like as a teammate? I mean, he was obviously crushing these home runs like no one else was in the history of the game. And uh, just how, how did how did it work? Like how did it go that those two years in St. Louis in the clubhouse and on the fields and for the, you guys and the other players and Mark and everything combined? Oh, it was, it, for me, it was awesome. I mean, I just, I got unlucky and got hurt a couple times. So I had to go on a couple rehab assignments, you know, that kept me out uh, for a while. But I mean, when I was there, I called it Hollywood Midwest, you know, because we had every, every, you know, celebrity, you know, I got pictures with, you know, Ric Flair and, and Bruce Springsteen and, Bill Goldberg. And I mean, it was, I mean, I'm, I'm a wrestling fan, obviously, because this threw out two wrestlers, but um, I mean, everybody came through, you know, because they wanted to be a part of that. And I, I thought, I thought Mark handled it amazing in, 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 in 98. Uh, I thought him and Sammy both handled it amazing because what, because there was a group of us, there was about a group of five of us. It was like Pat Kelly, Tom Lampkin, Kent Merker, myself and Mark, you know, we kind of all went out to dinner on the road and and kind of we were kind of his buffer, you know, because everybody wanted a piece of him, you know, but he 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 would he would sign and he would do the thing. And I, we always would ask him, like, dude, it's got to be just you can't go anywhere, you know, whatever. And he, but he would handle it great. But when he got to the clubhouse, it was a joke that I, I had that I'll tell we had a running joke that once he got to the clubhouse, he bitched about everything like in, in it. And I said, I'll bet you 10. And I didn't make as much money as he did, obviously, but I bet him one day I said, Oh my God, I go, would you shut up? I go, I'll bet you $10,000 that you can't not bitch about something until five o'clock. And it was like three. 
And he goes, you're on. And like at 2.15 or whatever it was, he goes, bets off. <laughs> but, I, but I understood it. I understood it because he was trying to have that, that persona out there and be nice that nobody can be nice that long every single day. You know, you got to come in and just vent a little bit. And so I thought he handled it phenomenal. Um, he was great to me. He he came to my house one time in Kansas City when we played the Royals in interleague. I had a party for everybody, and um, and he saw my my collection of memorabilia. So if he would get something like double, like if he signed something for somebody and they would send it to him, I'd come in one day and I'd look at my chair and there would be Muhammad Ali signed boxing glove, and he goes, I already had one. So I just figured, you know, I saw your collection. So, but that's the stuff he would do. And I, I really appreciated it. And I, I thought he handled it amazing. Um, you know, with, with all the stuff that went around it with both him and Sammy, you know, years later, um, it diminished it obviously, but, you know, I've never seen somebody focused every single at bat like he was that year. It was, it, I, it was amazing to watch somebody to be that locked in the the entire year, um, just the way he was. It was it was something special. And I was glad that I was a part of it. I mean, it was so special. You know, I think we hit what he hit 135. So we had 140 home runs together those two years. So it was pretty good. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> Let that in to make sure. That we were listening. I don't think you were listening, Mike. No, I heard I looked at this and I thought this was extremely impressive. But as I was reading up on you, it said when you were in college, I'm in St. Pete, Florida, so you were about 45 minutes south mm -hmm. of me, but said you uh, played every infield and outfield position and actually served as an emergency pitcher. And I wondered, is that true? How'd that come to be? Is that something that was just naturally came to you or is that something you worked on? And then I guess the, the final question would be, you know, looking back on it all, are you happy you ended up shortstop, you know, second base or, or do you kind of wish you might've been in another position? Uh, you know what? I just did what I had to do to, to, my dream was to play in the big leagues. And, you know, when I went to Manatee Community College, which you probably have heard, well, now it's State College of Florida. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, people would say, what do you major in? And I said, baseball. I mean, it was never a doubt. My dad played in the big leagues. My brother was playing at University of Georgia. You know, it was like, it wasn't a doubt I was going to play in the big leagues. It was just how I was going to get there. And so once I got there, you know, I got very lucky to have my dad having pitched, you know, for six years in the sixties and, you know, gave me very good advice, got me to a big league camp. My first, after my first year of signing and got to um, stand next to Kurt Stillwell and take ground balls next to him and Brad Wellman and Bill Pakoda and just different guys that were on the team. And, and that, that made a huge difference in my, in my life and in my career, because I knew right then I could play. I could play in the big leagues. I just had to hit because I knew I could field with them, you know, and that, that was, that was huge uh, for that to happen. But no, once I got there, I made the team as a utility player because, you know, I, I, I just played everywhere that this one spring training in 1991 
And, um, you know, they said when a, Brad Wellman, actually, you know, who I was going up against for the utility job said, if they ask you if you've ever played third, tell them yes. Even if you haven't, tell them yes. If, if it's left field, tell them yes. Don't ever say no. And so that's what I did. And I just figured it out. And um, I was athletic enough to do it. And um, so I just did what I had to do. Yes, of course, I would have loved to have played shortstop more because I felt that was my best position. And I, I was a good outfielder. I mean, I was a re really good center fielder. Um, but shortstop would have been my preferred. Obviously, I got that one chance in, when, when we had Offerman in 96. And he had made a couple errors early in the season. And he had a little injury or whatever. So I got to play 130-something games. And, um, you know, obviously, I proved it defensively I could do it. But I, I, had, I had torn a rotator cuff in my left shoulder diving for a ball in spring training and and it I could only get three cortisone shots during the season and so my last one was in September and so I went like I think I hit like 040 my last you know month and so my average really really dipped but it was one of those choices of do I tell them I I can't play anymore because then they're going to say well you're skinny and you're not durable enough or you know, play and then let my hitting suffer. And then they'll say, well, you can't hit enough, you know? So it was one of those flip the coin and see, and I said, you know, screw it. I'm going to play. Uh, you know, I wanted to play and, um, but it was great. I loved going out there every day and playing, but it was also fun being a utility guy. I tell everybody all the time, I go, hell, it was fun. I go, I, I'd walk in there and I'd look and sometimes my name would be down with the and others. And other times I'd go, oh, I'm playing third. Cool. You know? <laughs> You know, or right field or whatever. And, you know, with, with Larusa, he asked me one day, he said, where do you want to play tomorrow? And I said, uh, I don't care. And he goes, no, where do you want to play? I said, short. He goes, nope. <laughs> and I go, third? He goes, nope. And I go, all right. And I go, first? He goes, yep. Because <laughs> McGuire needed a day off. You know, so it was like, all right. I've never played first base in my life. But I was like, all right. I didn't even have a first baseman's glove. I had to ask Greg Colbrin for the, for the Diamondbacks to borrow his. So, yeah, I didn't care. It was just I was in the big leagues and I was living my dream. And so if I was on the field, I was happy. So, Dave, you mentioned uh, earlier about about scouting pitchers. Um, I got a crazy hypothetical for you. If you could have sort of like an all time draft and you could and you could pick one one pitcher to start your team with, which pitcher would you be going with? Hmm. Who would I go with? Um, depend upon what time of their career but I would probably say Maddox because I think he would he would have a, a big impact on the other guys behind him because sure. he was so smart you know Randy was great Johnson I mean obviously I mean I was one for 31 against him until my last three at bats but um I just think that Greg getting to know him and hearing the stories about him. I mean, obviously he was phenomenal pitcher, but they, the guys that played with him that I know Merker and Avery and all those guys, they say sitting in the dugout with them, they learn so much about the game and how to set hitters up. I mean, they would say it literally happened five times where he would go, guys, watch out. And they'd be like, what are you talking about? And then the guy would foul one right into the dugout. Oh, wow. Yeah. And I was like, come on. Like, that yeah, didn't. And they're like dead serious. 
So wow. he just, he knew what the pitcher was going to throw and he knew how the hitter was going to react. And, you know, to have that type of mind, you know, I just think, at, and obviously, you know, unbelievable how many Cy Youngs did he win? Five or something like that. But, you know, so I, I probably Maddox, you know, we'll at least from the guys here. that I faced. We'll get you out of here with this tonight. Maybe maybe the other guys were afraid to ask it, but I'm I'm going to throw it out here. I'm going to take you back to June 10th, 1997. <laughs> What's considered maybe the greatest catch in baseball history. I thought for sure it was going to be extra bases. What's running through your mind when Jim, Jim Edmonds just – he robbed you. Let's be honest. He, he robbed oh you with gosh. possibly the greatest catch ever. Well, first I was surprised I was hitting because it was the bottom of the eighth and it was a tie game, and usually I'd have been pinch hit for by then. So, um, <laughs> but it was, um, yeah, uh, Jason Dixon was pitching, and, and I, you know, um, gosh, what's uh, – Joe Madden was their, their bench coach, and so he always – jokingly said i made you famous i said you didn't make any, you didn't make me famous nobody even knows who hit it like you you made you made edmonds famous because he moved him way in because i didn't have any power and you know two strikes breaking ball you know i stayed on it hit it as good as i could dead center and you know i i just i was i was between first and second when he caught it you know because i thought it was over his head and you know there was two men on i figured i had you know either game winning you know triple or maybe inside the parker you know because you see anybody diving to dead center i mean the right the right fielder or the left fielder better be hauling ass to you know to back them up or i'm gonna i'm gonna score because i could i could run a little bit you know and 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 then all of a sudden i you know i see him roll over and hold the ball up and i'm just like you have got to be kidding me <laughs> and you know had some words for him as he jogged off the field but I mean you know our fans were giving him you know a standing over I mean hell I should have been too I mean it was you know you watch it and you you know you count how many steps he took and just you know diving straight towards a wall you know he did I don't know if he knew if he knew where he was exactly when he dove but I mean that takes some you know some guts to just to, to lay out like that and catch it. And I don't know if you ever saw it, but the ball actually popped out of his glove and he put his bare hand over it to, to keep it, to keep it in. If that thing rolled out of his glove, it was inside the park. No doubt in my mind it would have been, but I mean, if that's what I'm remembered for, great. I hope I'm remembered for, you know, playing a lot of positions and, and playing hard, but um you pissed him off, Mike. Look at it. Look how mad he is. You, <laughs> yeah. you pissed him off. Way I'm really, go. I'm really. <laughs> but, yeah, you did. Damn it. <laughs> <laughs> we, we mentioned it before we started recording briefly, so it's, it's all good. No, yeah, it was it was a hell of a catch. Uh, yeah. Well, thank you so much, David Howard, for, for joining Absolutely. us. We, we appreciate you coming on and, and, and being here with us tonight. So I hope I wasn't too long-winded, but I enjoyed it. No, perfect, perfect. I'll remind everybody, make sure you hit that like, subscribe, and notifications button. Thank you for watching. We'll see you all next time. Have a great night.